Okay. Uh, hey, just uh, real quick, just I just thought about this. Uh, speaking of Olympics, there, there's a there's a guy that lives in Bloomington. A, f- a few people may know Shelby Wilson. There's a guy named Shelby Wilson. He's an older guy. I mean, older like older than me. So, which is not is you know anyway. And I met him once a few years ago, and he's just kind of an average Bloomington kind of country guy. He likes to fix things for people and. You know, you just kind of think, oh, he's a fix-it man. It's kind of nice talking to him. And this was like 10, 15 years ago. And then somebody said, oh, you met Shelby? He said, yeah, I met Shelby. He's a good, nice guy. Oh, he won a gold in the Olympics in wrestling in 1960. I was like, Shelby Wilson? Yeah, Shelby Wilson. No, it's not the same guy. No, it's the same guy. So the next time you see him, you're like, uh, hi, hi, Shelby. <laughs> you know, <laughs> But it's just kind of, uh, some of you know him. He's just... It, probably never talks about it unless you force him to talk about it, but it's just kind of one of those neat things where you, I mean, he's just an average guy, but he wasn't in 1960. So I keep looking over at George and Mark because I know they know him. So anyway, hey, let me pray. And then, what does he do now? Works international students? What furniture ministry helps international students get furniture from those of us who have too much? Which incidentally, just a quick aside, uh, Sherwood Oaks, uh, not Sherwood Oaks, but a bunch of the international ministries go together and they have a big furniture fair at Sherwood Oaks on some Saturday in September or late August where they give away furniture to internationals. And it's usually, they want decent quality furniture. So if you have any of that, that's decent quality. I think Bill Downey might know about that actually. So... Yeah. Yeah, look on the website uh, for what, Sherwood Oaks? or Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a really, really neat ministry, and uh, I'm sure Shelby's a part of that with helping out with international students and things like that. So, hey, let me pray, and we're going to look into God's Word. God, we are, uh, we're reminded, again, that we don't live in merely a physical world, but we are here in this time and place on August 5th at 3rd and Lincoln in a town called Bloomington. But we also know uh, that you inhabit this place because we know that your word says you inhabit the praises of your people. So in ways we can't see and don't fully understand or grasp, but really hunger to, we believe you're here. And we believe there's movement and activity um, in the Holy Spirit. And so would, we, would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what he says and what he shows us. Um, and we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so this is my first Sunday back. For those of you who don't know, I was on sabbatical for uh, four months, uh, uh, given that four months off generously by the leadership here, funded by the Eli Lilly Corporation, which uh, I love Eli Lilly. He's dead now, but I love the man and what he started. So, But some of you have asked me what I've done the last four months. This is my one-slide slideshow, all right? And it's going to be related to what we talk about. But let me, if you remember, and you may not be able to see it very well, but you may remember that the theme of my sabbatical was kind of stones of remembrance. Going back to those times in our lives where God interacted with us and kind of remembering those and cherishing those and kind of thinking more about what God's done and will do in my life. So I'll quickly go around again. You may not see them all clearly, but that doesn't make any difference. Top left is a guy named Jerry Root. He preached here back in April. He's one of my primary mentors. He's kind of one of those people uh, stones of remembrance for me. So it was great reconnecting with him. I saw him even later in the sabbatical. The next one down is a picture of me in a post office in a small village in Austria. And it was, on, it was on those steps on a given night where I remember writing in my journal that I felt like God was calling me uh, 
to be a pastor. At that time, I was a school teacher. But I remember, and I actually could find in my journal where I wrote it, and so we had a chance to revisit that. The next picture down is, my, believe it or not, it's my kids in the Swiss Alps. That's just because I think God cares about our joy. We were sledding down the Swiss Alps. It's a great thing to do if you ever have a few extra days to go over there and do that. Uh, and I just happened to have a camera with me and popped the picture. It looks like a postcard, but it, it reminds me of joy. It's one of my favorite pictures I've ever seen in my life because it's my kids, all right, in the Swiss Alps. All right, not like in... Not like in downtown Bloomington, no offense. The next picture, I'm holding a piece of paper. Some of you have heard me tell the story about my days in seminary uh, when I struggled with pornography. And I remember telling me about a story where somebody wrote me an anonymous letter to encourage me that God wasn't finished with me yet. And it was received in my mailbox one of the very lowest days of my life with that struggle. And so I'm standing in the exact place where I pulled that out of my mailbox. It's not a mailroom anymore. It's a Trinity Seminary up in Chicago, near Chicago. But I went up there, I just want, and it's, I wanted to be on the spot. So I was on the very geographic spot where I remember reading that and crying because I was like, God, is, God cares about me. He hasn't forgotten about me. He's not going to throw me away. The next one is a place in campus of Wheaton College where I remember on this very street, a friend of mine asking me when we were in college, so how's your heart doing? And up until that time in my life, I didn't think anybody cared about my heart. And I remember like, whoa, you want to know? You want to know what's going on in my life spiritually and you really care? Uh, next one is why I was a teacher at Hauser High School and it was in this very room at that very place at that very, it used to be a chalkboard, now it's a whiteboard, where I remember doing something with mathematics one day and have this distinct impression from God. It wasn't an audible voice, it was the closest thing I've experienced to an audible voice where I felt like God said, you're not teaching math anymore, you're going to go to seminary next year, you're going to start teaching people the Bible. And I remember thinking, who said that? You know? But I had a chance to go back to that school Tried to explain to the principal why I wanted to get into the building, and I wasn't some kind of a, you know, didn't have a criminal record or anything. And uh, so she escorted back there. I, she, had, she took the picture, and I said, I can't explain why. Can you just take a picture of me here in this room? So she'd had a long day, so she wasn't too excited about it. But that's okay. The next one up is a church in Columbus, Indiana. It's in that very building on, that, on the left side where I was baptized when I was about seven years old. And I actually went into the building and actually was, took a picture of myself in the place where the baptistry used to be. It's now a church library. But again, the place. I wanted to revisit the place. Uh, the next one up, that's actually my wife standing before the mountains in Southern California at a camp called Forest Home. It's a place that was really, really, really refreshing for my wife when she was out of college in a spiritual kind of way. She worked at this camp. This was right behind the cabin she lived in, and she said that view will always remind her of, of the time in her life where God visited her with a lot of joy and a lot of re, uh, renewal. So uh, that's a, it's a, if you would have seen my wife's countenance, Kathy's countenance were there, you would have thought she was in another world because she's so much remembered the great things God did in her life then. Uh, next one up is a swing set up in a state park near Huntington, Indiana. And I was on those swings when I was 27 years old, believe it or not. Nobody else was around, so I, you know, I don't mind swinging when I'm an adult, though I still like to swing. That's the great thing about having kids. And I was swinging with my car nearby, playing loud worship music, trying to decide if God wanted me to take my first ever pastor job. And I remember feeling that God was saying, yeah, I want you to be a pastor. I was like, I don't know if I want to be. And I kept swinging, and God said, yeah, I want you to be. Okay, I'll, I'll go, I'll go. So that was there. Um, go to the middle, the guy in the blue shirt, Dr. Dennis McGarry. You've heard me tell about the time I cheated in seminary. Remember that story? I, I, didn't, I didn't arrange it ahead of time. I just went up there one couple days, walked around the office trying to figure out where his office even would be today. So this was 20 years ago when I cheated. And his office, he happened to be there, coincidentally, on a Friday, which usually isn't. I kind of butted into his office. I was afraid he might be like... 
No, I don't have time. He goes, no. And I, and I actually had the worksheet on which I cheated. And we, he and I, we, he, he said, I don't even remember this. He goes, oh, I really, I do remember this. I had the journal entry of what I wrote about after I had met with him um, from 25 years ago when he told me he was going to forgive me for the offense and it was a picture of the joy of God in my life and forgiveness I'd never experienced and I actually told him I mean I I can't remember anything you taught in class Dr. McGarry but I remember that you responded to me with grace and mercy in a way that I really needed in my life and he said it was the highlight of his week it was a great time so uh, the one uh, the right of him is uh, my dad's tombstone my dad died when I was 22 but I spent two hours in this cemetery because my grandparents buried there, my dad's buried there. It was a really, really fun two hours. It sounds weird to say that, but it was just kind of remembering and kind of thinking about, hey, God, look what you've done in my life. They weren't all perfect people. Some of them had goofy issues. My grandparents are buried there, aunts and uncles, my dad. But it's like, you know what? I'm grateful, God, for what you've done in my life and my family. And, and as I'm saying this, I want you to be thinking about your own. What would you put on your pictures if you had a chance? The next one is In-N-Out Burger. Can I have an a- amen for that one? Those who know In-N-Out Burger, all right, amen. In-N-Out Burger is a great burger place in California, and for us, it's just a, it's just a memory of joy. It's kind of a place of, of uh, I mean, the burgers are good, the fries are good, they don't freeze anything, just in case you don't know, and they have Bible verses on the bottom of their cups. Um, that's not why we like it. But it's just a reminder of, of joy that God cares about in our life. And uh, that's it. That's my... Now, now here's, here's the story. Here, here's, uh, like I said... Some people want longer answers, but I know most of you wanted a one-slide slideshow, even though I cheated and put like 15 up there. So. But here's the thing. Your story matters to God, too. That's my story. You all have stories. I mean, right now, if you stopped even for a minute, you could probably, you could probably visualize two or three places. You're like, yeah, that was a key place for me in my life. You could probably identify spaces on the, on the ground or buildings where a significant conversation took place, and, or in some of my cases, where, where redeeming from brokenness took place. Places of joy, places of redemption from brokenness, places where God talked to you and told you to leave this place to go to that place. And none of them are like these dramatic, you know, bells and whistles voices. They're usually these internal kind of whispers from God, but you know something's nudging you. And I'm saying that because I want everybody, everybody here can hear from God. And some of, all of us do. And so I'm, I'm not trying to make it like, okay, you can't hear from God unless you're a pastor like Dan and I or whatever. Everybody hears from God. And the way I heard from God, I, was, I heard from God when I was a school teacher. I heard, you know, I heard from God when I was a kid, seven years old, wanting to get baptized. So it's, it's, there's no special category except listening, all right? But your story matters to God too. And God knows your story in ways you don't even understand. I mean, one of the things I saw to my wife yesterday, and she said, you know, if somebody were to ask me how our time away was, she would say, she said, I would say simply this, that our stories matter. Um, quick aside here, whenever you go on a trip like this or like a missions trip, always be ready to give people your 30-second answer. Not everybody wants to hear your half-hour answer, okay? So 30-second answer is, although I get a half-hour this morning, so anyway. Uh, your story matters to God. And I'm saying that, again, because every one of you have parts of your stories that maybe are yet to be redeemed. Maybe parts of your stories that you wouldn't even want to have the picture up on top. But you know it's a picture you might need to revisit. 
either revisit to ask God to bring healing to something in your life or revisit just as, as a sign of gratitude to God for the healing he brought to your life. Or maybe you revisit places simply because you want to be grateful to God that he cares about your joy. One thing I want to do in the, just the next few moments, I'm going to go through, we're going to look at a, just a couple stories in John where people's stories mattered to Jesus. And again, the overarching theme I want you to be hearing is that your story matters. And maybe there's ways, well, I know there are ways in which Jesus wants to invade, interact with, uh, and bring healing to your stories, and even remind you of joy in your stories, all right? So John chapter uh, 1, and I'll, I'll start with this, and we have four different people, or three different, four different people in the Gospel of John that Jesus interacts with their stories. But this is uh, John writing, so the word, referring to Jesus, became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Say that with me. Unfailing love and faithfulness. One more time. Unfailing love and faithfulness. That's Jesus. That's the one who knows our stories. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, read this with me, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. All right? No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. All right, stay on this one for a second. I had breakfast with a friend of mine this week, part of Exodus, and he was just talking about his story. And his story has some really painful, challenging, difficult places in it. And he said there were times where he was tempted to even to, to start thinking that God doesn't even know my story. God doesn't care about my story. This whole idea of unfailing love and faithfulness was a distant, distant, distant notion to him. But this past summer, he told me this just last week, some tangible things happened where he realized, you know what, I know God's unfailing love and faithfulness are real. He never gave up on it. And I know there's some of you right now, there's parts of your, there's, maybe you're going through part of your story where you're like, I, I'm not feeling it, Jesus. I'm not feeling unfailing love and faithfulness. I'm feeling distance and absence. But like this friend of mine uh, last week, he said, I held on to that because I knew God was good and God was for me. And God is good and for us. And what, what John says here is, and Jesus shows us exactly what God is like. So as we look at these stories, this is Jesus who as John affirms, comes from God and is God. But in human form, he interacts with these people, showing us exactly what God's like to us. All right? Story number one. Simon. At the point, at the first, he was named Simon. Uh, this is a point in John chapter one, where Jesus is calling his disciples. And he meets Simon. We don't know if Jesus had met them before. I mean, it was all kind of a small area, so he might have known him. But he calls him. That's when he says, follow me. Right? And then he says to Peter, at, he, at this time Simon, he changes his name. He said, you're going to be called Cephas, which also means Peter, which also means rock. And the way the text says it, this, put this up there. Jesus looked intently at Simon and said, you're Peter. You're going to be called Peter now. Now, what is it, you know, looking intently, it's kind of like, okay, it's like Jesus was looking right through him 
and said, you know, your whole life you've been Simon, but you know who you, I see who you really are. You're going to be Peter, you're a rock. I mean, Jesus looks intently at us and he knows what we can be. I mean, maybe there's a sense of what you feel like Jesus sees in you, but maybe it's been trampled down throughout your story. Maybe there was times, uh, you know, in some of my story, there were times where I really felt like God looked, Jesus looked at me and looked intently at me and said, you're going to be a pastor. And I was like, what? No, that's who you're going to be. I had a friend in college tell me I was, he said, no, no offense, Matt, this is 20 years later. I would have never guessed you to be a pastor. Thank you. you. Not because I was wild, because I was just very quiet and hated, hated being in front of crowds. So who's to say what Jesus, if he looks intently at you, and that's, it's a really kind of an intimate encounter. I mean, Jesus is looking right through Peter, into Peter, and gives him a whole new name. You can, you will be more than what you think you are because Jesus sees more in you. He has ministry possibilities. He has strength in you. He has plans for your marriage and your relationship with your kids that is beyond what you think you can have. And Jesus sees that. And don't forget that part of your story. Don't let, don't let Satan kind of keep bringing back parts of your story that will stomp that down. Because Jesus knew Peter's story. But he says, you're getting a new story here, Peter. Now you're Peter, not Simon anymore. New story. All right, next one. Saint also in John, Nathaniel. This is right after we hear about Jesus calling Peter. And then he calls Andrew. And Andrew goes and gets his brother, Nathaniel. And he says, hey, we found the Messiah. We found the guy. He's the one who's going to lead Israel back to freedom. He's going to turn the world right side up again. You know, every Jewish man, woman, girl, and boy had been taught that from their childhood, that the Messiah was going to come and make things right again. And Nathaniel says, they said he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, Nazareth, what good comes out of there? It's kind of like, you know, we might, well, I won't, I won't be negative about anybody except maybe Kentucky. What good comes out of Kentucky or whatever? I don't, you know what I mean? It's kind of that. And then, yeah, except national championships, but... Um, <laughs> And then Philip says, no, no, come and see, come and see. And they, they approach Jesus, and then Jesus says to uh, Nathaniel, uh, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. I mean, Jesus kind of, boom, I know, I know who you are. I know your story. And then Nathaniel says this, how do you know about me? It's obvious they hadn't met, at least not met in meaningful ways, but Jesus knew exactly his story. You're a man of Israel, you're a man of integrity. Maybe Nathaniel thought that about himself, but Jesus said, no, that's who you are. And that's who you're going to be. You're going to be a man for Israel. You're going to be a man of integrity. And you're going to be one of my followers. Jesus knows things about you that some, sometimes you don't know and sometimes you do know, but you would never verbalize that about yourself. But in your story, there's times where Jesus will say to you, Jesus will know things about you and your response is going to be, how do you know that about me? Of course we know he knows those things about us. But there's things about you, your dreams, your aspirations, your sense of what God may use you for. And God comes to affirm that in you and you're like, how did you know? But he knows those parts of your story. Story number three. This one a lot of you are familiar with. This is the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, 
Samaritans uh, were half-breed Jews, half-bred Jews. So there was a lot of racial tension between them, a lot of racial tension between them. So not only does Jesus uh, meet this half-bred racial, uh, racial Samaritan and talks to her, but she's a woman and they're by themselves. So Jesus like, you know, breaks all kinds of social taboos here as a Jewish religious male. And he starts talking to this Samaritan woman who has no clue as to who he is. But Jesus knows her story, absolutely. And they kind of engage in this conversation about water and then it goes to religion and spiritual things and Jewishness. And, and then she makes a comment about, well, you know, I'm not married, I don't have a husband or whatever. And Jesus says, no, you're right. You don't, you ha- you, you've had five husbands, as a matter of fact. And the guy you're living with is even your, is your, husband, your husband. You're on number six. And it's like she's busted because Jesus knows her story. He is not hiding anything from her. She's not hiding anything from him. I know we don't think we do, but how often do we think we really are hiding something from God? Like he doesn't know the secrets we have. And they're not only secrets, if we're honest, they're secrets that we feel great shame about and have quite a bit of self-condemning thoughts about. I'm sure she wasn't proud she was on man number six. I'm sure she didn't brag about that. That's why she was at the well in the middle of the day when other women wouldn't be there because she was probably tired of the shame and condemnation she felt from them because it only reminded her of the shame and condemnation that she felt for herself. And Jesus says to her, obviously in a non-condemning way because she was just kind of amazed. He, didn't, he wasn't like, yeah, you... You know, you blankety-blank, loose woman, you're on number six. And I said, no, no, you, you've had five husbands, you're on number six. And, you know, freeze-frame that part of the movie with her face, kind of like. And then they finish the conversation after she tries a little bit of distraction. They get back to the conversation and she's just like amazed. She runs back to her town. And this is what she tells the people. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come and see this man who knows my story. And he still talked to me. Come see a man who knows my story and he was kind with me. Come see a man who knows my story and gives me hope. I don't know your stories. I know some of your stories. I know my story. I showed you pictures of parts of my story where there was shame and self-condemnation. I'm guessing if you're human, you're like me and you have places where shame and self-condemnation have a really loud voice. My guess is there are certain actually locations on the earth or people that if you saw them or went to a certain place, shame and self-condemning thoughts jump right back in. And Jesus knows those. But he gives you hope, he gives you kindness, he gives you redemption, he gives you healing. I don't know what those places are for you, but I know you have them. Last one. This is all from John. This is all the first parts of the Gospel of John. Uh, a lame man. It was interesting, you know, when you read the text on this one, it, it doesn't necessarily say this man was lame. He was one of many who were lame, sick, or paralyzed. So we're assuming, well, he couldn't walk. We don't know what the problem was. Or he either, either was so sick he couldn't get up. And this was for 38 years, all right? Not like sick for six days, but for 38 years, he was unable to get up. 
Um, so right there's a big story. That it'd be really interesting to sit down with that guy and unpack what 38 years of that were like. Not only their shame and condemnation, but it wasn't anything he did that brought the shame and condemnation. It was just the culture that was existing then. He didn't really have much to offer, and he didn't know what to do with it, and he probably you know, didn't, didn't think much of himself. But he was by this pool, and the, the, the thought was every time the pool would bubble up from the springs below, whoever got in first might be healed. You know, we don't know if that was happening or not, but that was really what the people around it thought. And so he was there for years and years and years and years and years. Who, who, who knows? Maybe his parents dropped him off every day when he was a kid. As he got older, he had to get other people. Hey, can you take me to the pool? Because I, you know, I need to get there today. And his, his whole livelihood, his whole character and personality was shaped around his physical brokenness. And all the emotional brokenness that probably comes with that. All right? And Jesus comes up to him, because Jesus knew the story. I mean, Jesus didn't have to get somebody to fill him in. I mean, we don't know how much of omniscience Jesus had as a human being, but he was aware of something big in this guy's story that was painful. And he comes up to this guy and he asks him a question that at first, first glance seems almost unkind. And Jesus asked the man this question, do you want to get well? I mean, if, you're, if you didn't see it or know the tone, you'd be like, come on, Jesus, this is a joke. The guy's been there for 38 years. And of course he doesn't want to get well. He loves standing out here. Every, and he wanted the guy, you know, was thinking, of course. But he knew that Jesus was asking in a kind way, in a clear way. And maybe what Jesus was getting at is that sometimes we, we know we're broken, whether it's emotionally, physically, um, even spiritually, we, we know some stuff in our lives, but we've learned to make it work and we've actually learned to build our identity around that a little bit. It's, it's kind of a weird, but it's, it's a survival technique we all have as human beings. And if we didn't have those broken crutches to hold on to anymore, we're not quite sure who we are because then the world makes, then God may expect more of us so when Jesus asked the man, do you want to get well? It wasn't simply saying, hey, you're sick. You want to get better? He was basically saying, you want a whole new identity. Because the story you've lived out of these last 30 years, that's not who you are. And I'm not just talking about your physical brokenness, Jesus would say to him. It's not who you are. You're not a helpless, needy man anymore. And you never were, but you bought into that lie. And he says, do you want to get well? And the guy's like, yes. And Jesus says, well, can I pick up your mat and get up? The guy gets up. Probably with a great deal of joy. So here, here those four stories. Here, go, and go to the next slide. Your story matters to God. And again, just reminding about some of the conversations I had this week where, where one friend of mine said, I... I Sometimes I wonder, I, I've wondered whether my story does matter to God. Whether he knows, you know, the painful places of my life. Whether he even remembers that I really would like some joy in my life. And God does a whole lot more than in and out burger, by the way. All right? But sometimes we wonder that. Does God know my story? Or is he just kind of watching me and hoping I do my best and yeah, he's going to cheer us on, but he doesn't really 
know what we need or know, or has he forgot, has he forgotten about us? You know, the lie to Adam and Eve that Satan told them was, God's not good, he's withholding from you. He's withholding good from you. But the lie that Satan used other places in the Bible to people are, God's forgotten you. Which is kind of one and the same. He's forgotten you. He has nothing to offer you. He's withholding. He's withholding because you're a bad person. He's withholding because of your shame. He's withholding. He's, withholding. he's not good. He's forgotten you. But your story does matter. I mean, I just took four examples from the, from the short part of the Gospel of John. But there's story after story after story of ordinary people's lives throughout the Old and the New Testament where God knew their story intimately well and cared deeply about the redemption of their story. You know, our story matters to God. And then just secondly, real briefly, is your freedom matters to God. It's not just that Jesus knows your story. He knows he is obsessed with your freedom. He is obsessed with your joy. He's obsessed with the the reality that you would be alive, awake, and free. And he will not relent. He will not stop pursuing you. He hasn't forgotten you. It feels like he has. I've had times in my life, you've had time in your life where you felt like God must have forgotten me on this issue. I guess I'm on my own. But he hasn't. And then just back to the the verse we read earlier, the latter part of John 1. Um, as a reminder of that we, we know who God is because Jesus showed us exactly what God is like. I'll start with 17. For the, the law was given through Moses. Read this with me. But God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Jesus knows your story and he's going to show up in your story in ways you don't expect. But at the same time, I want to challenge you and ask you to invite him into your story. Maybe places that need to be redeemed. Invite him into those places. Maybe into the past. Invite him into the past. Ask you, Jesus, what do I, what do I make of that situation? Maybe invite him into your present. What are the places where he needs... Maybe there's just times, maybe you just want to be reminded of joy. and you just, Maybe your response is just gratitude. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray that this week at least one picture will come up in your mind. Maybe it's a place that God wants you to kind of, maybe not revisit physically if you're not able to, but revisit. Or maybe it's a person that God's asking you to revisit. And maybe it's out of gratitude. He just wants you to, hey, just remind you that I do care about your joy. Or maybe it's about your healing. Or maybe it's about your freedom. All right? So pay attention this week to images or thoughts that seem to be random. And again, I'm not, you know, don't, don't. My general test is if I get a picture of something or think about somebody I hadn't thought about in years, I'll generally ask God, God, if this is this from you, because if this is from you, Stick it to me. Keep it sticking on my memory. If it's not from you, just tomorrow morning I wake up, I don't want to think about it anymore. And God's faithful. If it is from him, the Velcro won't let go. And you'll see that person, that picture, that place, or that word, or whatever it is. And then you say, okay, Jesus, what do I do with this? Or you want me to respond? What do I do? 
So let me pray. Uh, you know, let me take let me take sixty seconds right now. I'm going to just let everybody be quiet, and I want you just to listen. And and uh, on the count of three, I want you to. I want you to whisper out loud, softly, a two-word prayer. And all the, word, the words are a uh, three-word prayer. Jesus, show me. And, and what you're doing, it's, it's an invitation to show you some place in your life that God wants to remind you of maybe of joy that he cares about you or maybe he wants to remind you that his desire is to heal that part of your life. All right? And you're, you may not have some you know, big picture happening in your mind this morning. But I'm going to ask you to I'm going to say one, two, three. I'm going to say, Jesus, show me. And I'm going to be paused for like 30 seconds. All right? So just whisper out loud for you to hear it. We're not going to shout it or yell it. All right? One, two, three. Jesus, show me. Jesus, I believe that you, uh, your heart is warmed by what we just asked you to do. And I believe that you will do what we asked you to do. And you will uh, bring memories back to mind. Maybe they're memories of joy, maybe memories of pain. Whatever memories, whatever places, whatever people uh, you want us to bring to mind for the sake of, of you setting us free. Maybe it's just out of gratitude. Maybe it's um, things you'll bring to our lives that are good this week. Maybe it's healing. But we know you do that. And uh, God, I'm glad that, you, we, that, not, that our stories do matter to you, that we matter to you, that you know our names. Uh, you know so much more about us than our names and social security number. You know our stories deeply. And you know exactly what we need for freedom and joy and, uh, and life. And we're grateful. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, what we do at Exodus every Sunday is we take communion. And, uh, because it's, it's, it's a reminder to us that, the, that ultimately it is about our, I can use this word, intimacy with Jesus. The one who looks intently at you, who knows all you've ever done, who knows your name, knows your true name, and he's the one uh, that still says, uh, you're welcome. And I will say, you know, if, if you're in a situation where you're actively resisting God and you know it, then for your own well-being, don't come because then you really are making a mockery of Jesus' invitation. But for the rest of us, broken, self-condemning people, so it's not perfect. Perfection isn't the standard. It's uh, openness and receptivity to Jesus. Here's how we do it at Exodus. We just come on up and uh, as we start singing, nobody checks who's up and down. So if you decide not to come up, nobody's going to know. It's not a big deal. So don't be worried about that. Come up here, the, either of the, the three aisles, and we offer you the bread. Most, tear it off. Offer you the cup. Just dip it in the cup. Most people, uh, that's what we ask you to do, dip it. Most people eat it right away. Some take it back to their seat and eat it. It's really up to you how you want to do that. But it's a reminder that you, that, uh, of, the, of the connection to the blood of Jesus that we have with the intimacy and the unfailing love and faithfulness of God through Jesus. All right? That he will redeem your story. All right? 
At the same time, if you want prayer, there's people over in the room that say prayer, and they're simply there to pray for you. Uh, maybe it's about the sermon today, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just asking that God would redeem your memories, some of your memories, or bring joy to you. All right? Jesus, thank you for your life. Thank you for your humanity and how you interacted with people that were just like us, average, ordinary people. And then you uh, brought life and hope and freedom to their stories. Thank you for your uh, divinity, the fact that you're God, and because you gave yourself on the cross, you open up for us a way uh, for new life and hope. And we love you, Jesus, and uh, thank you. Amen.